Well, it is a great privilege, as always, to be back here, a church that I love and have much history with, and so many of you folks, so good to be with you. Thanks for having me. As Chip mentioned, I did, uh, I did speak at the graduation. Uh, they gave me 10 minutes to speak, and so I was trying to keep into my time frame. And uh, what you're going to hear, if you were there, is much uh, beyond what I shared. It's kind of just a, a brief message. But I was speaking to young people, and it's when I was preparing this, and I thought, this is what we all need. We all need to understand this very vital truth that we'll be talking on today. And so uh, I began, having such brief time to speak, uh, I began with a very discouraging prediction for this young class of these, uh, these high school seniors all seated before me. And I share with them, it is my perspective based on just observation experience and a lot of uh, data and so forth that probably a large, large, large number of the high school seniors seated in front of me, I said, within four years, you're gonna walk away from our faith. Even you that are now walking with the Lord at a Christian high school like this, you're going to walk away from the Lord. Now, this is statistical. 60% of all high school graduates, 60% of those that go to church in four years will quit attending church. To what degree are they not following at all Christ? I don't know. But I said, any way you look at it, you're not going to be as strong in your own opinion, spiritually, probably in four years than you are right now. Having said that, I think the question we all have to ask is, well, why would that be? Oh, I'm sure there are a lot of answers. We could go into a lot of detail. But I think one particular one stands maybe above the others. I think it's going to be because within those four or five, six, ten years, they're going to experience some very deep disappointment with God to the degree that many are going to be angry with God. The why question is going to come up at some point. Maybe it's because of shattered dreams. It could be death, rejection, death of a friend, rejection, pain, physical suffering, whatever. Something's going to happen and they're going to say, why God? Why would you allow that to happen? Now, we're a people here at this church who have been taught good theology. Now, your theology tells us that God is a sovereign God. He's in charge of all things. In fact, as we talk about Ephesians 1, verse 11, he decrees whatsoever comes to pass. Not just good things, but bad things. So we're, we're talking about a, a God who is allowing all of these things to happen in our lives and make us say, why would I want to follow you, Lord? I, I, don't, I don't even see that you have my well-being in mind. Look what you've allowed to happen in my life. And that's the big question. And it's not just these high schoolers that have got to figure out the answer. I think it's many of our own stories here. And we try to say, I'm going to fight through it and I'll still be faithful. I'll still follow. But we don't trust that God because we don't like what the God does. Light of that, my question is what plan do we have to combat this kind of crisis? What are we going to do? 
Now, I'm going to suggest that we must teach our young people to see the goodness of God in the midst of all of their many, many problems. They have to see the goodness of God. Well, that's well said, but how do you do that? Oh, yeah, you need to see the goodness of God. I know you just lost your best friend. I know that you just went through that. But just remember, don't forget the goodness of God. And they're going to check out right there. And they're going to ask that same question. Why? Why would I try to trust the goodness of God right now with what he and his providence has allowed to happen in my life experience? Why would I ever do that? Or to put it differently, we have to teach our young people to see the incredible value of what I call the three most unwanted gifts from God. I want you to remember that title. The three most unwanted gifts from God. I think these three are critical. This is how critical I think it is. Uh, Carol, my wife, which wanted to be here and had some grandchildren responsibilities uh, this weekend, couldn't come. But we have 15 grandkids, and we love our grandkids as any grandparent would love them. What do we want to do for those we love the most? We want to give them what they need the most. So a few months before my birthday, this last year, Carol had said, what do you want for your birthday? I said, I want my gift to be able to give a gift to my grandchildren, our grandchildren. She says, what do you want to give them? I want to give them all 20 bucks. She says, you just want to give all our grandkids 20 bucks for your birthday. I say, yeah, but I've got a, I got a string attached. She said, what's the string? I said, I want to offer them now, four months in advance. I want to get them all together. And I want to announce my gift to them of $20. Now, they're all 12, 13 years old. They're at that last year, they're, you know, basically uh, early teenagers as oldest. $20, not so much for the older ones, but $20, some of the younger ones were just amazing, you know. I said, I want to give you 20 bucks, but there's a, there's a string attached, kids, and here it is. I brought them together. I said, here's the deal. You have to remember three things. The first one is going to be described with one word. The second one described with one word. The third one with two words. So there are four words. If you can remember four months from now on my birthday, we're going to have a dinner. We're going to all be together. And I'm going to get individually each one. And I'm going to ask you, can you give me the four words? You don't have to understand the four words. You don't have to agree if you do understand. But you have to say those four words. And you say those four words, you get 20 bucks. And oh, by the way, the way this works too is that you're parent, my child, whichever one of the two of your parents is my child, they have to remember too. And if they forget, then you don't get your 20 bucks. You better be riding them because the way it works is this. There will be no writing it down. If you do, you cheat. There'll be no asking a sibling, asking your parent. What was that? What was the second word? I can't remember it. You better learn it now. You better get it. You better say it every day to yourself or you won't get your 20 bucks, which by the way, they all got their 20 bucks. All 15 of them. So I set them down right across from me. I said, okay, give me the three words, the uh, three things, four words. They gave them to me. Took a little snapshot. Me holding a side of a 20, them holding the side of the 20 with the two of us sitting there on my 70th birthday. And said, so there you go. You're going to remember this because I'm telling your parents this. I'm asking them that whenever they see one of these three unwanted gifts from God, which is what they had to learn. That once they learn that, it's going to be your, as the parent, responsibility. 
I'm begging you. You go to them and remind them. You remember when Pops told you the three unwanted gifts from God? You're experiencing one of them right now. It's a gift from God. And then I said to my children, it's your job to teach them why it's such a gift. I don't know what that's going to make a difference or not. But I'm telling you this, unless we understand the three unwanted gifts from God and understand it from God's perspective, I don't think we're ever going to whip this battle of how can I love God who allows whatever it may be. So let me give you the three, all right? Here they are. Now, by the way, if you can remember these in four months without anybody telling you, you, you can remember it. If you'll quote it to Chip, and he will personally, out of his money, give you $20. That's the, that's the deal we have. Is that right, Chip? Is that the way it works? <laughs> no, not so. Okay. All right, so here, is the, uh, here are the three. Number one is suffering. Number two is weakness. And number three is denied abundance. God denying us to have an abundance of something that we truly have fought for, worked for, want so badly. And in his providence, we don't get it. He denies it. Now, again, we're going to have to answer the question, why? Why does God give us those three that they're not really wanted? We can just from the titles, we say, I don't like that. Why in the world? Why would we want to embrace a gift like that? Because we're really asking the question, why is God allowing such bad things to happen to us? That's the real question. Why is he doing it? Without that answer, I don't think we're going to make it very far. But here's the deal. I don't think we, when we hear the answer, we're going to really understand it. We're not going to embrace it unless we truly understand this. That there are presuppositions. Can I use that word? Presupposition. Pre-before. Supposition. Something we suppose. We believe. We have presuppositions that we don't even realize that we have. And they make us suppose things to be true that aren't really true. And we are presupposing some things that makes us say, that's not a gift for God to let that happen to me in my life, in my experience. No, you got to know, well, what is the presupposition? Then you go, oh, 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 oh. For instance, I'll give you an illustration. There's a man that called me, and he said, you don't know me, but I'm a golf professional, blah, 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 and, and a big-name great golfer. And he says, uh, I'm a friend of so-and-so, your friend, and he's encouraged me to talk to you. I'm having some struggles and wondering if you'd meet with me for breakfast and just talk it over. Well, due to our friendship, I said, sure, I'd be happy to do that. And so... Uh, mutual friend, so I would get with him. I said, what's your deal? Well, very quickly, he says, here's my problem. I want you to know I'm a very good man. I'm a Catholic. I go to church regularly, da 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 da, da. I am a good man. But I want you to know that I, I'm battling alcohol, and I've gone to AA. I've done all the stuff. That, nothing works. I'm trying so hard. It just doesn't work. I can't, I, I can't whip it. Well, before I could say anything, he says, however, I, I, I want to tell you something else, too. He said, I'm having an affair right now. My wife's a, a wonderful wife, beautiful woman, and my children are great. I'm going to lose the most wonderful family. I'm going to lose my career. I know what's going to come, but I can't get out of the grasp of this woman. She is like, wow, I just can't. I, I, I've tried and tried and tried, but I, please don't get me wrong. I am a good man, okay? 
So after he went through his litany of issues, but he's a good man, I said, let me ask you a question, because I'm thinking you better understand the power of presuppositions. So I said, can I ask you a question? Here you are, a great golfer. You tell me, true or false. If you have a perfect grip of the club, your hands are perfectly gripped to the club, you have the perfect alignment to the target, and you have the perfect posture. And if that's all you know, and you can do that with the swing, back swing and forward swing, you can do it repeatedly, keeping those three perfect. Will you become a good golfer or not? He said, you will become a good golfer. Huh? I said, is the opposite true? If you got terrible grip, terrible posture and alignment, you're never going to become a good golfer. He said, I wouldn't think that anybody could become a very good golfer. I said, you know, we have a grip posture and alignment in life. People don't even realize it. I'm not sure you realize it. Can I tell you what they are? The, your grip is your, your view of God, your, your posture is your view of yourself and, and your alignment. It's your view of the world in which we live. Hey, can I give you a little diagnostic? Let you just see if you can answer these questions. Now, I'm, I'm pretty good at what I do, and I understand those three, like you understand the golf swing. I'd probably trust you about the golf swing. You probably should trust me about what I'm saying right now. At least I'll tell you this, it comes from the Bible. It's accurate in the Bible. I said, do you, do you, want, to, do you want to take the test? He goes, yeah. So I said, all right, tell me this about yourself. A, B, C, or D. Gave him four options. He picked the wrong one. According to the Bible, I said, you got a bad grip. I said, all right, how about your posture? Your view of, your, your, uh, of God, A, B, C, or D. He got the wrong one. Same thing about the world. Gave him four options, he got the wrong one, according to the Bible. And I said, do you understand now that you have a terrible grip, posture, and alignment? And you're trying so hard, you're working, 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 trying to get better, and you're not getting any better. And that's what happens well, all of us. And so we run across something like, okay, I'm a Christian and I'm really struggling with God. I've got these bad feelings inside. I've got this sense of this isn't right. I don't understand and I don't like it. And I'm even mad. Oh God, why, 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 why? And I say, wait, wait, wait. You're working so hard to try to trust God. You're trying to love God. But it's not working, is it? You got to have some correct understandings of your presuppositions. Let me tell you what those presuppositions are as it comes to these unwanted gifts from God. The first is this, our belief in the horrific fall of mankind. People don't believe that. So, well, what do you mean? We believe in the fall. I could ask many people that horrible things happen. Do you believe in the fall? Yeah, yeah. But you know what they're actually believing? I'm believing that at the fall of mankind, all, it, through Adam, all of us, we receive a problem and it's that we lost something very important. But the problem is, many of us believe that we didn't lose it all. Oh yeah, 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 we lost our perfection in the fall, so everybody comes in this world with flaws. But we didn't necessarily lose our goodness, did we? There's a little good in everybody, right? Good theologians, no, no goodness, no goodness. Really? Well, let me ask you this question. What happens to a little girl in North Africa who's 
13 years of age, the sweetest, kindest, most amazing girl. Oh my goodness, she's sweet. Killed an automobile wreck. This little girl would wake up every morning and multiple times through the day would bow to Allah, 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 Allah. Never heard of Jesus, certainly not a clear understanding of Jesus. But the question is, where did the little girl, where did she go at death? Obviously not a Christian. And the typical Christian community goes, well, of course, we know the Bible does teach that, that, that you know, it's, it is true that, I mean, if, uh, Randy, help me out. I, I, I've always had a struggle with that question. Help me out. How do we answer that? I say, ah, you believe there's a little goodness in everybody, don't you? You don't believe we lost it all. You believe we lost a lot. But you know, the Bible is very clear. I mean, from Jesus, who went and challenged, you know, it came to, the guy comes up to Jesus, a good teacher, and he said, whoa, 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 why do you call me good? Do you not know that there's none good but one? He's not denying that he's good. He's saying, you just don't believe I'm God. Why would you call me good if only God is good? Do you know that David, the beloved David of the Old Testament, he said these words, there's none good, no, not one. There's none who seek for God, no, not one. Do you know that Paul repeated that in the book of Romans and said, there's none good, no, not one. There's none who seek for God. There's none good, no, not one. Wow. It's across the span of the Bible that we lost it all. So there's the first issue. We got presuppositions that are not allowing us to trust God and see his loving kindness during our painful situations. But there's a second one. That is, we don't have the presupposition of the indescribable love of God. But I believe God loves me. Sure, God loves all of us. God's got, well, wait, wait. Do you believe that, that he, Jesus, did everything for us? Do you think he did it all? Or do you think he did a lot? What do you mean? Well, do you believe that he died for you? Da, da, da. Yeah, yeah. Would, do you believe that maybe you just, all you did was bring a little faith and you brought a little repentance and that was your offering and if you did that and he did what he did, then you get saved? Yeah. You believe that he did a lot. But you don't believe he did it all. Because we got a little goodness in us and we'll pick up a little faith and a little repentance and we'll bring it and that's how we become Christians and therefore we do a little, he does a lot. You know, the truth of it is, Romans 8.32 says he spared not his own son, but he delivered, he literally, he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us that we might become his children. That's amazing. It's, it's an indescribable love. Do we really believe he did it all? And here's the third presupposition. that We have to believe the invaluable design of the three gifts I just mentioned, that there is a wonderful purpose in him giving those to us. And Christians don't know the purpose. They go, I'm not really sure what is the purpose. I, I, I'm not really sure. I love the way Johnny Erickson Tata, if you remember the name Johnny Erickson, the quadriplegic and so forth, who loves the Lord and has been used of God in such mighty way. She writes like this. She says, God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. And a lot of us don't get that. God, are you allowing suffering and weakness and denied abundance? 
Well, yes, but you know what? I'm doing it in order because I want to give you because I love you so much. If we don't get that full picture, then we miss it. So let's look at the three real quickly. Here they are. First of all, suffering. Let's just make sure we know this. As Christians, none of us are suffering because God is punishing us. Never does he do that. Not at all. We're his children. We've already been punished through Christ. He's taken on our punishment. So that's not the issue. Maybe it's consequences of wrong we've done. Yes. Maybe it's something we'll never understand, the connection. But the truth of it is, we know this, he never promised. And I mean, our kids need to learn this. He has never promised what we assume. And that is that if we love God and we follow God, God's going to protect us from really, really bad things happening. Because then really bad things do happen. But he never promised that we were exempt. In fact, Jesus said in John 16, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you have tribulation. But take courage, I've overcome the world. So he says, oh, you're going to have tribulation. Peter says in, in chapter 4 of his epistle, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. That means suffering and problems and pain so forth. Which comes upon you for your testing. Don't consider that some strange thing were happening to you because you're going through all these hard problems. Like that shouldn't happen to me. No, no, that should be happening. Christian or not, it doesn't matter. You see, what we can't go into enough, but the scripture is full of descriptions of why God would give us such bad suffering in life. And his purpose is to give us what he loves the most. He loves doing good for us. And so there's texts like, James chapter 1, verse 2, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result that you might become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He says, I love that. I love that happening to my children. Oh, by the way, it's trials that enable that to really take place. How about the psalmist? And probably by David, Psalm 119, where he says, it is good for me that I was afflicted. What? Oh, he got it. Oh, it was good for me that I suffered, that I may learn your statutes, and that in faithfulness I've learned that you have afflicted me. You, God, have afflicted me. Wow. Oh, may your loving kindness comfort me. You see, David understood. He truly understood. You see, our time on earth as redeemed sinners, it's not God's purpose to make us happy. It's God's purpose to make me and you holy and to give us happiness for all eternity. I love the way Paul Tripp in his book, New Morning Mercies, he says, this life is not our destination, Christian. It is a temporary preparation for our eternal destination, which is going to be without pain or suffering. I have a good friend. Met with him for dinner this last week. 50, mid-50s, great athlete, talented, wonderful man, elder in our church. Three or four years ago, cancer. Horrible cancer. has left him debilitated in many ways. He'll never experience lack of pain. He'll never experience outside of miraculous healing, but it, it's probably not going to happen. He doesn't expect it. 
And I listened to what he walks through every day of his life, and I just sat there and went, how do you do it? And tears came down his face as he was describing, and he says, I can say this with integrity, Randy. I would not change a thing. Do I ask God to heal me? I do. But I know this, if I had to swap and never have had cancer and kept living the way I was living, if I had that option, I'd say, give me the cancer. Give me the cancer. I will never know God like I know him now were it not for cancer. Folks, that's not a unique situation. Being a, a pastor as many years as I have, I can't tell you the number of people I've sat at their deathbed. They're battling the pain, struggle of cancer, or other problems. They say the very same thing. They've learned. What a good gift to suffer. What a good gift. What if our kids at least had that perspective introduced to them? Ultimately, a good gift. I know this. Suffering is only one of them. There's weakness, too. We got weakness. You know, the Christian's prevailing, prevailing perspective is that we hate weakness and we hide it. We don't want people to know we're weak. That's a bad thing. Take away our weakness. Well, it's a totally different perspective in the Bible. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10 says this. This is Paul speaking. He says, And he, Christ, has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I'll rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Well, that's a different perspective. Oh, that's... Wow. I know this. In my own experience, I've had a weakness for years of my life since I've been a little youngster. And I have cried out to God, please change it, God. Please change it. Please help me. Please keep me. And then God called me into ministry, and that weakness is the very thing that would make me not ever want to be what I'm doing today because of my weakness. And that weakness has to do with my memory. At two years old, I had Alzheimer's, you would think. Now, that's a little extreme. But the things that I can't remember, everybody says, surely you remember. It was just yesterday. Remember you did such and such? No, I don't remember that. That's weird. I, I, I come back here. It's kind of like a little bubble I get to live in. I see people I haven't seen for years, and I remember their names. I see them, and I go, how did that happen? because you're just special. I don't know. But whatever the case, I'm saying this. It just wears on me. And I say, oh, God. And then I realize this. Chip and I were talking between the services. What God has done uh, in allowing me to be a pastor, I don't understand. But it's on my weaknesses. I am the—we're talking about, do you, do you get nervous to get up? Do you—I said, I don't, I don't want to get up in front of people like this. I don't want to have to because I got a weakness. I'm going to forget what I'm going to say. I'm going to do this. I'm going to forget da 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 Really? You wouldn't know that? I said, I know. People don't know. But I don't hide it because now I found out it's my great boasting to be able to say, God uses me in spite of me. And I've had to learn that and to give thanks for my weaknesses. Wouldn't it be great if your children, your grandchildren, they're coming up and they begin to see weakness and think, ooh, that's going to enable power in my following Jesus. Hmm. That's a gift. That's a gift. 
I know this, in that same text in verses 7 and 8, 1 Corinthians 12, it says, I was given a thorn in the flesh. It's a messenger of Satan to torment me. I can't tell you how many times I feel a little tormented. I feel insecure because of my, uh, my weakness. But he says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. What a great gift. Third and final. The third is denied abundance. And I come out of the text of Proverbs 30 for this one. And this is the, we don't know who the author is, but it's a, a wisdom author, we know. This is what he says. Two things I ask of you. Do not refuse me before I die. And this is what he says. Okay, here's the wisdom author. All right, what do you want? The Lord says, what do you want? You name it. He said, well, there are two things, God, that I really, really want. So what would you ask for? I bet our list would be somewhat similar. We want more of this and better this. And would you provide this? Can my kids know this? Can this? All the wonderful things. But let me tell you. He says, first thing, keep lies and deception far from me. What? That's your first thing you want? Yeah. And then you begin to think, ooh, how wise he is. Because if you've got a foundation of lies and deception, everything built on those lies, it's going to crumble. Oh, he understood that. Pretty wise man. You know what the second thing he asked for? Give me neither poverty. Okay, got that one. Nor riches. Please, God, don't let me have riches. And he's not just talking about riches in money. He's talking about riches in life. We have physical riches by how good an athlete we are or whatever, performer we are. Mental, we, we have riches in great brains. We have riches in business capabilities to make a lot of money and so forth. We have riches in ministry where, oh man, you can be very big in ministry and have a lot of fruit compared to other people. And God says, no, you don't really want either of those extremes. You just want to be somewhere in the middle. But by the way, do we determine that? No. Is there anything wrong with riches? Absolutely not. In fact, the Bible says you got riches of a brain. You better use it to my glory. You be as strong as you possibly can. It's not a call to mediocrity. Uh, you, you got ministry abilities? Well, minister to the glory of God. And you got business capability? Go after the business. Yeah, for the right reasons, go for it. Whatever it may be. But this is what taught me the understanding of this text. It's when we started having children. We had a little boy. Loving sports. I said, oh God. I want a great little athlete. Well, he was a good little athlete. But you know, I was coaching my son as he was coming up, my boys. And as I was coaching, I saw some other little boys that were extremely gifted. I mean, riches in talent. One day are going to be playing in the big leagues. And there was not that this is without exception. But you know what I saw in those kids like that? I saw an arrogance, a haughtiness, a sense of pride. And I said, God, I don't want my son like that. And we had a little girl. We had two little girls. And I remember when I had the first little girl, I thought, oh, maybe she'll be a little head turner. You know, I'll be walking along with her and everybody turns up. Oh, is that not the prettiest little girl? Well, she's a pretty girl, but not a beauty queen. But I started watching those little girls, my daughter's ages. And when I watched them, uh, not without exception, but I'd look, 
I don't want my daughter like those little girls. They're primping around like, has everybody noticed me? And do you, are you going to do this for me because I'm this and I'm expecting that? And I go, uh-uh. And I started praying, God, let them be somewhere in the middle. My boys have often said, who knows how far along we could have gone athletically if you had been praying against us. I've heard that many, many times. But here's the thing. It's not a call to mediocrity. God gives you that, you go for it. But here's the thing. Don't want it. If you want riches and you get them, they'll destroy you. If you say, I'm not after the riches and God gives them to you, you'll hold them out and say, Lord, I'd be happy for you to take it away. But I'll steward it as long as you give me that burden. And it'll be a challenge, but I'll, I'll steward it. You see, I want my grandkids to grow up in life and understand there are unwanted gifts from God. But I want them to know why they should be wanted. And if I can change those presuppositions, I better work down beneath. And I got to say, you need to understand the human condition. You need to understand the love of God. You need to understand the ways of God. And then when these things hit, you're going to be the better for it. So if you believe, if you truly believe God's teaching on these three, when you experience these three, you embrace the loving kindness of God. If you can do that, then you will be the blessed of all people. Your kids will and your grandkids. Now that you know it, if you didn't know it, maybe you've been reminded if you do, make sure those that love you know these great truths. Share it with your children. Share it with your grandchildren. And watch what happens because Psalm 107 says, whoever is wise will consider the loving kindness of God. So as we close in prayer, would you remember that it's all because of what we call the gospel? It's the fact that we lost it all. He did it all. We get it all. We get his full righteousness. And that's what it means to be a Christian. You fall in love with him because of what he's done for us. And when you do that, you follow his ways. But don't do it in an ignorant way. Do it as those who know God teaches these are gifts from him. As we pray together, let's bow. Father in heaven, would you grant us now to be able to embrace your truth. And for some of us here that have kind of drifted from you, perhaps in our heart, in the deepest of our, our heart, because we just don't understand your ways, we don't like your ways. May we see a little clearer. May we see your loving kindness in everything. Would you grant that for your honor and for your glory? And Lord, if we've not yet come to know you, would you make our hearts just burst open with desire and come to you and say, I lost it all. You did it all. Would you give it to me now? I want it all. Your full righteousness. And we thank you for this in the matchless and wonderful name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.